Okay, guys, um, we are in Lesson 6 today. We're going to be looking at uh, Chapter 2, verses uh, 12 through 14. It's kind of an interesting section. Um, it's interesting when you read John, John. John's dealing with a serious subject. So, I mean, if we kind of go through what we looked at in chapter 1 all the way up to this point, he's hit a couple of times where, okay, he says, you know, if you're walking in darkness, that is, if you're walking in a sinful lifestyle, and that's just marking your life, there's a chance, not a chance, he's saying you're not saved. And then we just saw, if he says, if you, if you say you love him, but you're not keeping his commandments, you're not saved. If you hate your brother, you're not saved. Now, that's, that's some pretty serious, heavy stuff to unload. But I, I want you to notice how John has a pattern here, though. As he's going through it, he kind of intersperses his discussions with some truths to reinforce some things in our lives. What do you mean, George? Well, if you go to chapter 1, he makes that initial blunt statement about if you're walking in darkness, the truth's not in you. You make Christ a liar. But then he says, if we confess our sins, we have forgiveness. It's almost like he wants to reinforce us. So then he makes another blunt statement right after that. And then you begin in chapter one, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And he says, my little children, I run unto you that you sin not. Okay? And if you sin, you have an advocate. So he's again, he's making a blunt statement trying to jar our minds, thinking about our lives, but he also wants to reinforce some truths in our lives. We just had a section where he's talking about being obedient, and specifically being obedient to the commandment to love one another. And if you don't do this, you're not saved. But then when we get to verse 12, he's going to do that reinforcing thing again. Okay? We're going to see that he's going to reinforce uh, where we are in our lives. So let's look together. We're going to look at verses 12 through 14. It's an interesting section how he has things uh, here for us to see. He says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. And I, I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Okay, I'm, we're going to kind of break this down into two sections. We're going to see a repetitive emphasis. I'm going to just acknowledge that right up front. There seems to be a repetitive emphasis here. And then we're going to see some truths that he's going to try to communicate through this repetitive emphasis. So if you look with me at verse 12, he says, I write to you. John is communicating that he has a purpose for his writing. So again, whenever he's wanting to reiterate these truths to us, he makes the point, I write to you. Remember he said that? I'm writing to you that you sin not, but if you sin, you have an advocate. Okay, he's wanting us to grasp a hold of the point he's making here. 
Okay? So he's got a purpose in why he's writing us. And the purpose is, is he wants to reinforce our Christian lives. Okay? The other thing I want you to see is he uses three, three terms to describe his readers. Now, when you look through this section, you're going to see repetitively here, little children, fathers, young men. Okay? You're going to see that here, little children, fathers, young men. Now, you're going to say, to, well, who, who's, who, is, who's, who are these folks he's addressing here, George? Well, there are three views as to who he's talking about. The first view is that he's talking to literally three different age groups in the church. Okay? So he's talking to little children, he's talking to young men, and he's talking to fathers. That's one view. Okay? The other view is, is he's talking to three different levels of spiritual maturity. Okay? He's talking to people who are on a, a different level of spiritual maturity. That's the second view. The third view, which is held by most scholars, is, is that it's a literary uh, device that he's using here. He's wanting to communicate truths to everybody, but he's going to use a literary device of these different terms to basically emphasize the truth that he's making. Okay? And the reason why he does that is, when we go back to verse 1, John has already used the term children to describe all believers. If you go back to verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, You know, I write to you, my dear children, my little children, these things I write to you so that, so he's already making the emphasis here that all of us are children, but he's going to go and make an emphasis about young men and fathers because he wants to emphasize the truth that's there. So here's what I want you to see. Fathers and young men provide a stylistic difference in writing. It's a literary it's a literary uh, tool that was in the ancient times that they would use. So he's doing a stylistic difference here by talking about these different levels here. So this allows John to emphasize additional truths. So he's able to emphasize an additional truth, you know, because we make a distinction in our mind that, you know, when we talk about a child, there's a difference between a child and a dad, right? And there's a difference between a dad and a young man. There's different levels there. So we understand it. So he's going to make some stylistic differences here. So let's look together now. We're going to look at the truths that he's emphasizing. This is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. He's going to try to make some truths. Okay, because again, now listen, he just laid the big whammy on us about, you know what, if you're not doing what Jesus said, there's some question about your salvation. You may not be saved. You make him a liar. So okay, when you, when you get that kind of blunt confrontation, I don't know about you, but how many of you have you ever had somebody confront you and you felt insecure about your relationship with them afterwards? You know what I'm saying? It's just a natural reaction where you're like, man, do they still love me? You know, you know what I mean? You know, especially if dad lays the super hammer on you. You know, you know what I'm saying? Kids do that. And, and that's how he's referring to us as children here. So he's wanting to what? Reemphasize some truths to us to help us to know that, hey, we are loved, we are cared for, we are okay with him, 
if we walk with Jesus. Okay? So let's hear what the truths are. And the first one we see in verse 12. Look with me at verse 12. He says this. Because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. So the first one is forgiveness. Should be in your thing there, it's just if sins, it should be of sins. Forgiveness of sin. John reminds his readers that their sins have been forgiven. So the first thing he's going to do is, okay, isn't that interesting? Let's stop for a moment. Each one of the sections, after he has been just blunt, lay the hammer down, beating on somebody, what is the one thing that he has emphasized in the three different times of uplifting? What has it been? Forgiveness. First John 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What about... Um, 1 John 2, 1, you know, my little children, I run into you that you sin not. But if you sin, you have what? An advocate. Again, that's talking about what? The whole issue of what? Forgiveness. Because he goes on and talks about Jesus being the propitiation, the anointing sacrifice for our sin. So, okay, that was one section. Now he's got another section of wanting to uplift us. And the first thing he talks about for us is what? Forgiveness. Isn't that awesome? He wants to reinforce, if you're walking with Jesus, yeah, you're going to mess up. Yeah, you're going to sin. But you've got forgiveness. Okay? You've got forgiveness. You've been forgiven of your sins. Now, here's what else. They are forgiven for Jesus' sake, not their own. Let me just stop for a moment. You are forgiven for Jesus' sake, not your own. It's not about you. It's not how good you are. It's not anything to do with you. Forgiveness has nothing to do with you. We've got to grasp that point. It's not how much education you have. It's not how good you've been. It's not how good your heart is. It's not how great your intentions have been. Do you understand what I'm saying? It it has nothing to do with you. Salvation is purely for the sake of Jesus Christ alone. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, if we grasp that point, that's going to radically change you. The forgiveness that is extended to me is not extended to me because of me. It's extended to me because Jesus Christ was obedient to the cross. That's the whole point. Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins. He is the wrath satisfier. His sacrifice on the cross satisfied God's wrath concerning the sins of the world. And if there is any forgiveness to be given, it is not because of us and what we've done or anything we could have done or whatever. It is because of what Jesus has done. So when he says you are forgiven of your sins for his name's sake, We are forgiven because Jesus Christ paid the penalty for us. It's not because I trusted in him, although I do trust in him. That's the reason why I'm able to experience that forgiveness. It's available to me because of Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? Does everybody comprehend what I'm saying here? It's not that I've done anything to merit it. Let's see now. The forgiveness of sins. He's going to talk now. The next truth is, is the relationship. John reminds them that they have intimately known the eternal Jesus. Okay, look at verse 
13, first part there, he says, I write to you, fathers, because you've known him who is from the beginning. Now, the beginning there he's referring to is the beginning of time, the existence. He's talking about the one who's always existed. Now, you say him. Who would that be? Well, he's already talked about him earlier in chapter 1, meaning Jesus, who was from the beginning. In his Gospels, in the prologue to his Gospel, in, in John chapter 1, he says, in the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay? So he's talking about that you have known... Not only are you forgiven of your sins, he's emphasizing the truth now that you have known the eternal Jesus. You know him intimately. And we're not talking again, the word know there, because, you know, in our English translation, our English word for know is, is like, okay, I can know something, but that doesn't reflect, the word know there doesn't reflect the level of intimacy with that. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So, like, for instance, let's say there's a guy I've met on the street here. He comes into church. He has a seat in the back. He says, who's that? And I say, oh, that's, that's Bill. I know him. But then Lori's sick today. But let's say Lori's up front here, and everybody knows that I know Lori, right? Now, would you agree that there is a difference in level of how much I know about Lori and know her versus how much I would know about Bill? But our English word is the same word, right? No. Greek language was a little bit more precise. They had a word for everything. For, for, like, you know, we've talked about, you've heard it in church about the different words for love and so forth. We won't get into that. But the whole point is, is that here the word means an experiential knowledge. It is a knowledge by experience. So you know him intimately by experience. A relationship. This is the point he's making here. You know him intimately through an experience. Look at now verse 13. He's going to go on one step further, one more truth here. And I think this is, into, this is going to be powerful for you and I to grasp. Look at it. He says, I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. You have overcome the wicked one. Now, who's the wicked one, folks? Satan. Okay, now here's the point. He reminds his readers that they've overcome Satan. He reminds his readers that they've overcome Satan. Now, maybe for some of you, that's, your, that's the first time you're hearing that, but that's throughout the Scripture. You, you're, you don't need to be afraid of Satan. Do you understand what I'm saying? He can't touch you unless God allows him to touch you. Do, 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 you, under, do you understand what I'm saying? How do I know that? Job chapter 1. The interaction between God and Satan concerning Job. You know, Satan comes up there to accuse Job and, and says, you know, because and, and, God says, you know, have you considered my servant Job? That's because you're protecting me. Let him take his stuff. Okay, you can take his stuff, but don't what? Touch him. Don't take his life. He, and the interaction in chapter 2, he, Job is allowed, is, uh, God, Satan is allowed to what? Touch him health-wise, but don't take his what? Life. Okay, what I want you to see is, is that you and I don't need to be afraid of Satan. He is a defeated foe. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's a defeated foe. Because we have overcome him. How do we know that? Revelation chapter 12 verse 11 says this. They overcame him. Now here's how we overcome him. By the blood of the Lamb and by the word 
of their testimony. Do you want to know what it is that allows you to say that I have overcome Satan? Satan, two things. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, the blood of the Lamb, and the word of your testimony. What is that? Anybody got any clue what that means? Okay, Tina says what he's done for you. Uh, Danny says your action. Okay, those, those are possibles. What do you think it means? Okay, still Jesus. Yeah, John says confessing that he's Lord over your salvation. Do you understand? It's because of what Jesus did and because of you putting your faith in Christ. You no longer belong to him. Do you understand what I'm saying? You no longer belong to him. You, 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 you hear this thing about, you know, about selling your soul to the devil. I, I, just, saw, I just watched a, was it during the Super Bowl? They had a commercial for a Mercedes or something. And the guy's sitting at the table and Satan's there trying to tempt him into selling his soul if he would just get this car. You know, he'll give him this car just by selling his soul. And uh, so the guy's thinking about what it would be like. And, and he's just getting ready to sign it. And the billboard opens up on the back about some great deal about how the price dropped on that car. And he says, oh, I don't need to. I can go buy it. You know, you know what I'm saying? You know, so this is the concept Hollywood and, and, and the West has of Satan that you have to sell your soul to Satan. Folks, the reality is, is if you don't know Jesus, you belong to him. He's the God of this world. But what the point that he wants to make to you is, is that the truth you need to grasp for your life, John is saying, is, is you've overcome him. You've overcome him. Young man, I write this to you so that you understand you've overcome Satan. In fact, what does he tell us? Paul tells us what? That we're to what? Resist him. And he'll what? Flee from us. Do you understand what I'm saying? He'll flee from us. You can resist him, and he'll flee. He has no power over you. No power. The basis of overcoming Satan is Jesus, not anything we've done. It's not anything we've done. It's, it's Jesus. All right, look at verse 13. Let's continue on there. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. What's he talking about there? He reminds them that they know the eternal God intimately. Now he's moved from talking about Jesus, who was from the beginning, to where now he's talking about God the Father. That's who he's talking about when he says the Father. You know the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, intimately. How do we know that? Anybody got any clue? Can I help you? So when you want to go talk to God, what do you do? Where? Anywhere. For the Jew, who had the only true access to God before Jesus, when he wanted to go and, and make sacrifices and meet with God, where did he go? And he went to the temple. And even then, there were restrictions. What do you mean? When you look at the court of the Gentiles... Or even when you look at the tabernacle, okay, when you look at the temple and the tabernacle, there were different areas for different people. So for you and I as Gentiles, if we want to go meet with God, we met at the farthest point out, which was the court of the Gentiles. That's as far as we can go. We go beyond that point, what happens? You get killed. Then there's the court of the men. Excuse me, excuse me, the court of the women. 
that would be next. And that was the furthest point that a Jewish woman, not even any, any kind of woman, just a Jewish woman could go. She could only go as far as the court of the women. Then there was the court of the men. They would have access to even closer. Then there was the area for the priests. And then there was the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was. And only one guy could go in there maybe a couple times a year for to make a sacrifice. Do you understand? The Holy of Holies. And that would be the high priest. And for him, here's what they do. They would tie a rope to his ankle. I mean, think about this. They tie a rope to his ankle so that when he's in there sprinkling the mercy seat with the blood sacrifice, if he did something wrong, if he died, they could pull his body out. You know, if he had a heart attack or something or fainted, they could pull his body out by that rope. Do you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, that's not really good access to God, is it? Now, here's the interesting thing. You and I know him intimately, God the Father intimately. Why? There was an interesting thing that happened on the day in which Jesus died. Anybody know? Yeah, the veil, the curtain. It was this heavy curtain. From the, It was a big, huge curtain, and it was torn. Now, it's interesting because it says it was torn in what direction? From the bottom up? Top to bottom. So it wasn't something that just kind of, it just like happened. God did it. What did that mean? Yeah, it opened up access to God. Do you understand? So he wants to remind you, okay, you're forgiven. You've overcome. You've, you've known Jesus, who has been from the beginning. You know him intimately. You've overcome Satan. Now he's going to say to you, you not only know Jesus intimately, you Know who intimately? God the Father, the Creator. Isn't that awesome? Through Jesus. Yes. Yes, through Jesus. Through Christ. You know what I'm saying? You don't need to come to me for confession. You can access God intimately right now. Do you understand? Anywhere. In your car. Anywhere. What's that, bro? Yeah, it's a new covenant. That's right, a new covenant. And remember what Jesus said, in his blood. The interest, the reality is it's through whose sacrifice? Jesus' sacrifice, okay? So let's go on. Let's get some more truths here. He's going to reiterate another truth to us. Look at verse 14. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. Okay, so he just talked about knowing the Father, but he's going to reiterate, I'm writing to you, Because of what? He's reminding them, he reiterates that they have a relationship with the eternal Christ. See, remember what Bruce said, it's because of Jesus. He's going to reiterate to them, guys, listen to me. This is true in your life because you know who? Jesus. Intimately. Let me just stop for a moment. For you and I, we deal with options. You know what I mean? It starts in the morning. We get up. What, what socks am I going to wear? What color underwear? You know what I'm saying? What shirt am I wearing? What are my options? Okay? Uh, you know, we, we, what, what cereal am I going to eat today? What radio station am I going to listen to? You know, we, we deal with options in our lives. And so many times when it comes to our Christian walk, we consider things to be optional. 
like spending time in his word and communicating to him. We think that's optional, that we can just kind of let that go. Well, have you noticed that if you use that kind of mentality in your marriage and you just think that your, that your relationship with your spouse is optional that day, what happens? Okay, you get reminded. Okay, all right. It's not. I mean, you've got, it's, you've got to be intentional, right? So the reality is, is that he's reminding us that we know somebody intimately. So I can imagine it's not an option to know him. You've got to interact with him. Talk to him throughout the day. Now, I'm not talking about get down by your desk at work and start praying or something. I'm, no, you can talk to him while you're working. Did you understand what I'm saying? Not, not loud either. Jesus, I pray for the guy across the, you know, you don't want to do that. But you can talk in your mind to him. So we have a relationship with the eternal Christ. Okay, let's go on. I've got one more point here, and then we're going to finish up. Oh, two more points. He reminds them that they are strengthened by God's word. You know, the strength for your life is not going to come from your coffee in the morning. It's not going to come from a cheeseburger for me. Strength in your life is going to come by how you strengthen your walk with Jesus is by God's word. Getting into God's word. Letting him speak to you. Like, you know, the other day I was reading through Matthew. And there were several times I was in, uh, I think it was chapter 3 through 4. I was looking at some things there concerning the... uh, concerning Jesus' interaction with Satan there in the temptations, John the Baptist's ministry, and, and just certain things that came out of there were speaking to me. You know, and I've read that many times. But that day, God was speaking to me about, okay, you know, what about this, George? Wow, okay, I never thought of it this way concerning my life and where I am right now. That strengthens you. See, here's the thing, you know, like, I, I love to read books, and there's some books that I read over and over again, because I just love the writing style. Like, for instance, I love The Lord of the Rings. I've read them three times. Now, let me tell you, I've read them three times, but my experience with th- Lord of the Rings three times is not like three times with the Word of God. What do you mean? Well, when I read it three times, I don't find that it's speaking to me and telling me something about me. I just enjoy the story. When I'm reading God's Word, I'm not just reading what it's saying, the narrative there about what's going on. I have God communicating to me about me. Like, where am I at? Did you understand? It's a different thing. It's a living book. Did you know what I'm saying? I mean, uh, The other books are dead. It's a living book because the writer interacts with you, the Holy Spirit. And that strengthens you. And so he reminds them the truth that you are strengthened by God's Word. Now, here, let me, let me, let me, um, some of you, you say, well, I'm not a reader. Okay, I understand that. Then there are other ways to get God's Word in your life. Like how? Okay, so like some of you have smartphones. I mean, everything is moving to smartphones now. There are Bible apps, okay? There, there's, a, there's an app that's put out by Life Church. Uh, Craig Rochelle is the pastor. It's a mega church out, out in Tennessee area. And it's a Bible app, okay? And I was just showing this to Denny the other day. 
And in this Bible app, you can you can have your version. Let's say like I have ESV and I have New King James. Well, right beside it, you'll see a little speaker symbol, and you can hit on the speaker when you're in a passage, and you can listen to somebody read to you what what you what you you read the passage to you. You know what I'm saying? So like. For instance, let's see, I've got, I've got my phone here, and if I put on my Bible app, now I've muted it, so I, but if I go to, you know, if I hit the speaker here, then it allows me to play that passage, that chapter that I'm looking at, so I can listen to God's Word. Do you understand what I'm saying? So there are options. And you say, well, I don't have a phone like that. I don't have a smartphone, George. Well, you know what? You can buy cassettes or CDs. You know what I'm saying? If you're listening on the computer, you can listen. It's not hard. I mean, Ollie's, of all places, has stuff there that's recorded that you can buy. So, um, yeah, Scott. Yeah, at the Christian bookstore they have in Altoona, they have audio Bibles. There are ways. So if you're not a reader, because I know in our area some of the men don't tend to be readers, it's okay. Listen to the Word of God. Even if you just listen to it, because you can hit pause and think about what you're listening to. The point is to get God's Word in your life. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. You've overcome the enemy, but the enemy is still very real. And one thing that he's going to do is... He's going to keep you from is what? Reading God's Word. He's going to keep you from two things. Reading and prayer. You know what I mean? Reading and prayer. He's going to keep you from reading. Why? Because that's the number one way that God speaks to you. He's going to keep you from prayer because that's you speaking to who? God. Do you understand what I'm saying? So he reminds them that they're strengthened by God's word. Now, again, he's going to reiterate a point here. He reiterates that they have overcome who? Satan. One of the great things about the book of Revelation is this. It is a book of hope. Who's it for? You and I. Because when we read the book of Revelation, you know what it does? Even though life may stink right now, We've read the last chapter. We win. Isn't that awesome? We've overcome. That's the point he's making here. 